0: Good morning. Good to be with you. And if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to James chapter five. Uh, it is today we're wrapping up this this letter from James, uh, which I man, I'm sad. I'm sad that that we're done. It has been a it's been a great journey, at least for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Uh, so we're going to read the, the the final verses of James here. We're starting in verse thirteen, and we'll go through the end of of twenty, um, and then I'm going to. Then I'm going to go back and do a little bit of of review very quickly to remember where we've been in James to set up um, this final passage. So starting in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? And and so he's he's connecting right back to the passage last week that Matthias preached from the, the suffering of the prophets. He says, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins uh, one, uh, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed." The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And uh, I've enjoyed talking with many of you about uh, this letter from James as we've been going through this series. And one thing I've heard over and over again is, is no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, a lot of us tend to find ourselves back in this letter of, of James. We, we, even if there's not a Bible study or a sermon series going, we just, we gravitate back to this letter. And I know it should be that way in all of scripture, but but I think all of us kind of have books that we, we gravitate towards over and over again. And, and James seems to have that pull on so many of our hearts and our minds. But it's not like we come to James because James just makes us feel great about ourselves, right? James... Uh, Man, James doesn't pull any punches. Um, James sees right where we are, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus. And, and, and he, he speaks right to where we need to grow, right? Right where we are weak in our faith. He confronts our attitudes. He confronts our actions, or, or a lot of times he confronts our lack of actions. So we, we remember the book starts off, he commands joy in hardship and in, and in trial, he, he exhorts us to endure trials as God is shaping us to run to him in prayer. He commands us not just to hear the word of God, but actually live it out, right? To be doers of God's word. He calls out our propensity to, uh, to show favorites, to others, right? Based on on what we see. He he reminds us of the dangerous weapon that our tongues are, how destructive our words can be. James attacks a faith that is not lived out, a faith that is not demonstrated by works. James tells us uh, of heavenly wisdom that's available to all believers. James confronts our pride. He calls out our worldliness. He commands us to live according to God's will. He, he warns us how, how we're to handle our wealth. Um, and, and then last week he instructs us on suffering well. Um, and, and now here we are at the closing instructions of this letter, right? He commands us in, in multiple ways to pray. He tells us to praise God. He tells us to confess our sins to one another. He tells us to pursue the wandering Christian. So what is James doing at the end of this letter? I mean, we need to ask that question all throughout scriptures. We're reading scripture like, okay, this is here on purpose. Why Why did the author, why did God put this here? Um, and, and as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, man, I'm going to talk so much, so much practical things about how we're to pray and, and, and praise and, and, and confession um, and, and how we're to care for brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and there will be some of that, but not nearly as much as I, as I thought when I started out uh, on this sermon. Because what I want to do is actually zoom out a little bit. I, I don't want um, to miss what James is doing in these details. So we'll still get the details of of what he's talking about here. But first I wanna flash back to Peter Um, in John 21. uh, So this is after Jesus had risen. Jesus had already appeared to the disciples and others many times. And, and, and actually, let's go back even further. You remember Peter. He denies Christ uh, three times um, before, before his death. And, and that's even after Jesus saying, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter, he's adamant, right, in his, in his Peter way. He's like, no, I, I will never do that. Even if everyone else falls away, Lord, I will never do that. Um, and then that, that rooster crows that second time. And James had or Peter had denied Jesus three times. And you can just imagine the the guilt and the shame that must have cascaded over Peter, he's carrying that as he's as he's watching his closest friend jesus die a humiliating death and then three days later jesus rose he appears to the disciples and and the resurrection is is truly awesome like we we misuse i misuse that word so much but this is a circumstance where no this was awesome and yet in that I i think about peter like still carrying the knowledge that just days before he denied Jesus. So we come to John 21, right? Jesus has appeared to the disciples multiple times. Peter's with the disciples. He says, I'm going to go fishing, right? And the other guy's are like, yeah, let, let's do it. Let's, let's go get in the boat. And, and Jesus is on shore. They don't know it's Jesus yet, but Jesus yells, hey, cast, cast your net on the other side. Right? And he did this before with them. Early on when he, when he met some of them, Luke 5 tells this, this story. And they listened and they, they cast their net on the other side. They, they pull up so many fish, they have to call another boat over to help them bring in all these fish. And that time, back in Luke 5, Peter responds to Jesus by saying, go away from me. Like, I cannot handle you. You're too much for me to be around. But, but now here in John 21, after the resurrection, They cast them on the other side. They pull in 153 large fish, John tells us, right? Because when when a fisherman catches a bunch of fish, they tell you how much it is, how big they are, everything, right? I used to read out loud this passage every time before I went fishing. I never... And you think I'm joking, I'm not at all. And then I felt like maybe I'm misusing scripture, so I stopped doing that. But um, the Lord never seemed to bless it. Uh, anyway, pulls in 153 large fish, no doubt. Peter and the other guys they know, that's Jesus, right? So, so Peter, what he does is, is he, doesn't, he doesn't say, get away from me this time. No, he jumps out of the boat to swim to shore. And, and John points out, like, yeah, that's kind of stupid. Like, we weren't that far away. Like, you didn't really get there much sooner than we did. But, but I, think, I think we're actually seeing into Peter's, his heart, his mind, his psyche there. And then on shore, Jesus says, hey, bring me some fish. And, and Peter goes, and this is really why I'm telling you the story, Peter goes over and he doesn't just get some, like one or two or three or four, no. He runs over and he grabs this net of 153 large fish and he's dragging all of it over right and, and and without saying it, he's saying, "Jesus, look what I can do like look at me, look at what i'm look at what I'm willing to do, look how strong I can be when I just pour myself into it, look at what I can do and, and for some of us like i don't I don't feel like I relate to Peter in in very many ways. I certainly don't have peter's uh personality but but this is one way that I suspect a lot of us can relate to him We, we, we say Jesus." I've got this. We wouldn't verbalize that, but that's what our actions say. That's what our heart says, right? If I put my mind to it, I can, I can find a way to make this happen, right? If you put a list in front of me like James has, I've got this, Jesus, right? Consider it pure joy, check Seek heavenly wisdom, done. Avoid worldliness, no problem. Don't have favorites, check. Right? Don't just hear the word, check. Don't get wealth by taking advantage of others, check. Right? Prayer, praise, confession, check. check, check, check. Jesus, look at what I can do. Jesus, I'm going to show you how valuable I am. I'm going to show you how capable I am. And another, point, uh, another pastor actually pointed this out, like how easy it is to make James or tons of different scri- sections of scripture, just this, this checklist, right? And we can be like Peter. That we make all of it this, this list of, okay, I can do this. I can do that. Our default can so easily be, I'm just gonna buckle down and make this happen. But like Peter, it doesn't matter how strong we are. Right? It doesn't matter how, how skilled we are, how many lessons we've learned. It, it doesn't matter how disciplined we are, how passionate we are, how, how hard we are willing to work, or how much sacrifice we're willing to make. We don't have enough. We are not enough. We need Jesus. So why does James end his letter with, with prayer and praise and confession and helping the wandering Christian? And James is, is pointing us to communing with Jesus in all of life, no matter what. Like coming to Jesus, no matter what is going on. It's, it's sitting at Jesus' feet. I think of John 15. Uh, maybe this is a passage you're familiar with, maybe not um, If not, get familiar with this passage. I'm gonna start in verse four. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we can take James and and, and try and and do it all ourselves, but Jesus gets real black and white here so that we don't get confused. He says, that won't work, right? You've got to abide. You've got to make Jesus your residence. Jesus is where you live. Colossians 4, I love it. Paul says, Christ who is your life. Is Christ my life, is Christ your life? Right? Maybe he was at one point, but how about right now? Like This week, is Christ your life? Right? Anyone that knows you, would they, would they point to you and say, yes, I, I affirm that, I see that in you. Christ is your life. Because it's so easy for us to make other things our life, even if we've been following Jesus for a long time. Right? We, we tend to make, uh, maybe it's our job, our career, our life or your hobby can become your life, or your family, your, your relationships, your kids, or, or money, or fill in the blank, whatever it is. Man, I so relate to the, the line from that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But our wandering isn't just running after worldly pleasures. Sometimes our wandering can just as easily be to say, Jesus, I got this. I I, I can do this. Give me the checklist, Jesus, and and, and I'm going to go for it. John 15, 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So we see this in, in John 15. We see this in James that, I mean, we partner with God, right? We, we partner with God in his kingdom work. We're not idle. We're not not just this audience watching. We're participants in what he is doing. So this fruit bearing that happens, we're a part of it, though it is empowered by God. It is the Holy Spirit at work in us as we abide in him as Christ is our life. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So with everything that we come to at the end of James's letter, I do, I wanna get into some practical instruction on on prayer and confession especially, but I don't wanna miss or the invitation to commune with Jesus, to walk with him, to to make him our, our residence. So this week's passage has two parts. Each begin with, if there's anyone among you. And the first section is verses 13 through 18, focused on prayer, right? Every verse in this section mentions prayer. Praise is, is briefly mentioned as well. But there's prayer of the individual. There's there's inviting the elders to come and 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 pray for you, pray with you. Uh, there's there's prayer with friends as you confess sin. And then this prayer or this example of Elijah, the, the praying. Profit. Um But we remember uh, the very beginning of this letter, right? Chapter 1, verse 2: Consider pure joy when you face trials of, of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let that endurance take its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So, right off the bat, he hits the, the reality that, that, man, we're going to face hardship, we're going to face trials. Right, he 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 says, consider it pure joy. He Commands us to consider it pure joy. But then we, we can't miss verse five. He says, if you if you lack wisdom, ask God. Right. So James gives this pattern right away with with hardship, trial, with suffering. We respond with prayer. We don't just grit our teeth and, and bear it. No, it's time to run to Jesus. We abide in Christ. Yes, we're enduring, and, and we're enduring by coming to God. Our passage last week in in verses 7 through 12 of chapter 5, there are seven references to to either patience or waiting or enduring. And in this passage, there's, there's seven mentions of prayer. Right, the relationship to hardship is coming to God, crying out to God. This is the way forward for the Christian. It's the way of prayer that we run to Jesus. And this is all of life, not, not just hardship, but every moment in life. It's, it's an opportunity to draw near to God. As James said back in 4.8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we look at, we look at uh, James 5.13 Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Calvin put it this way, uh, talking about verse 13. And he said, there's not a time in life where God is not inviting us to himself. And he's right. Everything in life. He's always inviting us to know him more and more. He's always inviting us into a closer relationship with him, a greater union with him. So no matter the circumstances, the question is, do we turn to God? As we're suffering or in desperate need, do we turn to God? Do we recognize his sovereign power to meet our needs, his perfect wisdom in meeting us where we are? When we're glad, right? when we have reason to rejoice, do we see his providential appointing of our circumstances and praise him? I stumbled uh, across a a lyric this week of an old hymn that I wasn't familiar with from back from the 1800s. And the line is this. It says, hallow every pleasure, sanctify every pain. Man, it it has just been running through my heart and mind all week. Hallow every pleasure, God sanctify every pain. Every pain, I, I want my heart and my mind to be so set on God that no matter what comes in life, whether it's joy or sorrow, man, that I would look to him, that, that I would run to him, that I'd be so close to him, right? Trusting that, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, that he is good, that he's always at work, that I would trust in his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That in moments of joy, man, I'd be the first to praise God, to recognize him for what he's done. And in times of trouble, that I would pray like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, that I would pray, not my will be done, but your will. One Christian pointed out that when Jesus was in agony in the Garden, wrestling, with the forces of evil, right? At the moment of their strongest attack, Luke writes that he prayed more earnestly, right? Prayer may not remove affliction, but it certainly can transform men. So James tells us to pray, right? And he does it in a variety of ways. I'm not gonna get into all of them, but man, are we, are we a praying people? Like individually, do we, do we pray not just sometimes, not just when things are hard, but, but are, are we regular in, in, in praying in all kinds of circumstances? Are we a church that prays? One thing I'm eager to see from the, the, uh, the um, small group survey is, man, are we going to have a group that, that, that comes from this, that their focus is prayer, that, that will help us as a church just grow in, in prayer? If not, we're going to start one some other way. Um, uh, but man, what brings you to pray? Like this week, what are the things, uh, the, the circumstances that have, that have stirred you, that have motivated you to pray? Or James, James tells the one suffering, pray, right? Cry out to God, he hears you. And I think I take for granted that we just all believe that he really does hear us, that, that God hears our cries. There's this saying that, that God is never late. Rarely early and always on time. And I don't know if that's saying perfect, but, but I, like, I like the gist of it, right? From our perspective, it can so often feel like, come on, God, like I need this right now, right? And, and so often we say, not only do I need this now, but I need you to do it in this exact way, God, because I'm so smart. <laughs> and it isn't until after a while, sometimes years, maybe even decades, that we can see that God is perfect in his timing, He's so spot on in his provision. But, but man, make no mistake, God hears you. He hears your cries and in his perfect wisdom, he provides. The next verse, verse 14, the scene here, someone in the church is sick. They're so sick that they can't just go like, to the church and, and like, interrupt the elder meeting and have them pray. No, he, he calls the elders to come. But they come, they, they surround him, they pray for him, right? They, they join him in, in, in bringing this before the Lord. They anoint him with oil, and, and is the oil symbolic? Is it medicinal? I, I don't think that's something we need to get caught up in, but the point is, man, the person needs prayer, and he asks for it, he invites it in, and the, the elders specifically here, they respond, right? Together, they seek the Lord on behalf uh, of this person in their church that is sick, and the prayer is effective. God listens to those prayers, right? He's, he's designed it that we would come to him. He hears and he has the power to save and to heal. Verse 15, right, says the, the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Now, maybe a question that you have is, well, does this mean that he'll heal sickness every time we ask for it? Well, no, certainly not. Right? If he did, I wonder how many people would have ever died in human history. Um, but, but I wonder how often that question of, well, what if he doesn't? Like, What if he doesn't heal? How often does that keep us from praying? Right? Maybe, it's not, maybe it's not physical healing. Right, maybe it's about a family member. Maybe it's about some some other circumstances that just mean the world to you, and you recognize, yep, God can do this. He has the power to do this, but He might not do this. Right, God might not save this marriage. God might not provide that job. Right, we're pleading with Him that we wouldn't lose our business or our home, but but man, He might let that happen. Right, our, our kid might might not reconcile with us. First John five fourteen. Says this, and and this is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. John fifteen sixteen. Jesus says, "You did not choose Me, but I chose you." And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, uh, uh, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. I wonder how often we don't ask because we're afraid that it might not work out the way we wanted. I, I know for myself, like, when I'm that way, it's, it's, it's that I'm, I'm trying to protect my heart. I, I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to get my hopes up. But when we don't ask, we may miss out on God's incredible provision for us. Right? So, so I would rather, I'm trying to get myself to, to prefer uh, disappointment when maybe he doesn't respond the way I want him to. And, and, and even in that disappointment, right? God will meet me in that. But I'd rather risk disappointment than miss out on the opportunity to see God demonstrate his love, his power, his grace, his mercy in his provision. Think of a, a family, multiple kids. Um, the firstborn, they're they're typical firstborn, right? Super responsible. It's time for them to leave the house with its work or school. and, And in their responsible way, right? They're doing everything that they can to make it on their own, right? Nothing wrong with that. I mean, pride could be, in that, But we'll just say it's not. Um, and and so, so they're trying hard. They're working hard. They don't want to take advantage of their parents. Like, any support the parents give, they're thankful for. Um, but man, they, they know the parents have other kids in the house. There's other bills to pay. So they're, they're going to make it on their own, right? And they're, and they're doing it. Second sibling comes up. And they work hard too, right? They're, they're responsible, maybe not to the oldest sibling standards, but they're pretty responsible. And they come home, maybe on that first winter break from college, and they tell mom and dad, hey, there's this opportunity. There's this trip. I'm wondering if you'd help out, right? It's, I don't know, maybe it's studying abroad or, or a mission trip or, I don't know, maybe it's just a spring break trip. I don't know. But, but the parents hear it and they're like, you know what? I, it, we, can't, we can't foot the whole bill but, but here. And, and they're pretty generous. Well, the oldest sibling finds out. They're like, what time out? I worked Multiple jobs through school. I ate top ramen eight days a week. You didn't send me abroad. Well, how did the parents respond? And they say, You never let us know. You never let us know there's an opportunity. Like you shut it down before even asking. Like, don't you know us? Like, of course, we, we want to bless you. And yeah, we can't just give you a blank check, but if we can help you, if we can help you grow and, and enrich yourself, like, and we have the ability to do so, why wouldn't we do that? And James, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Right? We don't have any clue how much love our Father has for us, right? And 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 you could twist all this into prosperity gospel feel. I, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But but God loves to bless us, right? And and it's often not in the ways that that we imagine Him blessing us. But He loves to care for us to show us His love. He loves to to provide for us, to surprise us in ways that we never imagined he would provide. And so I'm certainly not saying God's gonna give you everything that you want, right? No good parent would do that. No good parent would, would just give their kid everything that they want because it wouldn't be good for that kid. But man, what have, what have we missed out on because we've never asked God? So the, the question of what if this prayer for healing or reconciliation or whatever it is, what if that fails? Here's what Pastor Kent Hughes said. He says, It is better to fail in an attempt to exercise faith than to let it lie dormant and fruitless. Man, so the child of God runs to their father. Uh, I love this in Hebrews 4, this imagery. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, we've got direct access to the throne room. Well, why do we waste it? James 5.16, he goes on, he says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Man, this verse goes against our culture, right? It, 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 uh, it, it sends up like our porcupine quills, like confess your sins. To others, right? It, it, it's one thing to be vulnerable and ask someone to pray for something, right? Because we're we're humbly saying, I, I need help here. Like I, I need I need the Lord to provide. But man, to let someone know like your deep struggles, your your battle with sin, your dirty laundry. Like, come on, I'm not going to do that. And yet, this is the way of Jesus, right? It is it is shining light on darkness. Martin Luther thought uh, that confession of sin was so critical that he wrote this. He said, therefore, when I admonish you to confession, I'm admonishing you to be a Christian. But this, this is what we do. Galatians 6 tells us to bear one another's burdens, but what sin does is it wants to keep us apart. It wants to isolate us. Sin convinces us like Adam and Eve to hide, and the gospel wants to bring our sin to light and bring us into freedom confession is humbling, right? It is, it is an acknowledgement that, that uh, on my own, I, I'm in need. I'm not good enough. I can't remember who wrote this, but they said there are far too many who play with sin and presume upon grace and do not realize that they can make a shipwreck of their lives and, and die without forgiveness, even though they claimed to be Christians and belonged outwardly to a new covenant community. Man, we don't want to confess. Right? We convince ourselves that that we can either take care of it on our own, that we'll battle it ourselves, or or, or maybe that, that that is our only option. Right. So this is what we're thinking, like, man, I can't tell. I can't tell that brother, that sister, right, the the sin that I have. But you're crazy. I can't tell my spouse that I struggle with that. I can't tell them what I've done. The cost of confession is too great. And yet what we ignore is that we're already paying a steeper cost by not confessing. By keeping it, we're hiding. We're keeping ourselves from fellowship, from communing with other Christians, because we'd rather keep up this facade. And if we told them, we'd be embarrassed if they knew what we're doing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And he's right on. Sin, sin, sin. Uh, hidden sin isolates us and and it convinces us. It tells us this lie over and over again that that hiding it is the best way. And all we're doing is further trapping ourselves in sin that so easily entangles. David wrote about this in in Psalm 32, uh, verse three. He said, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. as as by the heat of summer. But man, confession, when we confess to a brother or sister, it destroys our deadly autonomy. It breaks down the wall of hypocrisy and it allows the, the, the flow of grace in our community. There's freedom in confessing. Jesus says, come to me, right? You're weary from hiding. You're weary of trying to carry this yourself. Come to me and I will give you rest. And I guarantee, right, that in this body, there are hidden sins. I'm not saying I have like some super uh, supernatural knowledge. I'm just playing the odds here, right? Because people, we, we hide stuff. This is what we do, right? Maybe it's addictions. Students, maybe, it's, maybe you're cheating in school. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it's your battle with lust it has gone places that you swore you'd never go. Or maybe, maybe you're a liar. You're telling lies upon lies upon lies, just building this house of cards that's gonna come crashing down. Or maybe it's someone in a, in a secret relationship Right, flirting at the office or, or, or messaging or, or this, uh, maybe it hasn't gotten physical, maybe it has, or maybe it's just, you know, just. maybe it's an emotional affair. I did not mean to say just, maybe it's an emotional affair or, or maybe you know, no, I can't do any of that. So you just keep it all in your head and it's all, it's all imagination, it's all fantasy and that's how you justify it. But James says, confess your sins to one another and, and, and pray and you'll be healed and man, if you know today, like the Holy Spirit is just pressing upon you that you have something to confess, right? Don't, don't, don't be like Peter and say, okay, I got this. I'm gonna do this. No, run to God right now and ask him to help you, to give you the courage to confess. After the sermon, uh, we'll have our time of communion and, and David and Rhonda are gonna be up here available Um For prayer, if you want to pray about anything, if you want to confess, Matt's over here, John, uh, Eddie's over there, uh, I'll be up here even after the service. Man, use this opportunity if if, if God is pressing on you, that, that there are things that you just need prayer for, that you want prayer for, or if there's sin, you want to confess. So we confess our sin, we pray for one another. Then verse 16 ends with the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, right? So this, this confessed up praying person, there's great power as as it is working. Or some scholars think that, that a better way to translate it would be uh, it has great power when energized, right? And the, the energizer is the Holy Spirit. That's how there's great power in those prayers. And I, I love this example that James gives of Elijah in, in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently. When we think of Elijah, we we think of incredible moments, incredible ways that God worked in in, uh, and through Elijah. I mean, just demonstrations of power. Uh, We think of him facing off with the prophets of Baal. Maybe you remember this story, right? They've got their altar, and they're they're calling to their fake God, to 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 bring down fire uh, to to uh, to to burn this offering and and Elijah he's mocking them he's like oh man maybe your God's busy which we don't get this in the English but when he says that he's saying maybe your God's in the bathroom right maybe he needs to relieve himself that's why he's not answering you and, and he's he's having fun with them and, and then when it's his turn he has them dump water all over the wood and the offering and then he cries out to God and like the thing lights up. Man, we remember that. We remember him raising the dead. We remember uh, the, how he multiplied um, the, the widow's food and oil. We remember God providing food for him, super weird, but, but feeding him uh, by these ravens, bringing him food. We remember that he outran Ahab's chariot. We remember him coming face to face with God's presence in the cave at Horeb. Uh, but I, I wonder if we remember 1 Kings 19. Elijah is, is uh, threatened by Jezebel, Ahab's wife, um, and, and she gives herself like this 24-hour deadline to kill him, right? She's, she's done with him, and he's scared. I, I get it. He's he is scared, and he runs. He runs and runs and runs. Eventually, he leaves his servant. He's under this tree, and he just starts praying to God, which, which you're thinking, okay, yes, he's praying to the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do. He prays that he would die, right? He, he says, Lord, would you just, Take my life, right? And and I don't know, like, I don't know what the diagnosis of that is, but whatever it was, there are deep, dark struggles there, right? He is at the end of himself. So when James says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yeah, I think we're supposed to remember the highs in Elijah's life, but I think we're supposed to remember the lows too, right? Do, Do you relate to the feeling of, I can't do this anymore? God, I give. I'm tapping out. I I want out of this. James says he prayed. He prayed fervently, right? He he passionately poured out his heart. I had a friend that texted me this week just some hard news and asked for prayer, and man... I just hurt for my friend as I was reading this text and I know him well enough that I think I could know at least to a degree how he felt and how he thought. And I just found myself pacing in my office, like praying loud, right? Like I don't normally pray loud. I don't know why as Christians, like normally when we pray, our voices get softer. That's what I do too. But but man, in my office, like my hands were in the air and I'm just pleading for my friend, because I I hurt with him. I'm, I'm bringing this request fervently before the Lord James. He's urging us, right? No, no matter what it is, man, commune with the Lord. Commune on your own in your suffering. Commune by, by praising the Lord when life is good. Commune by, by inviting the elders in to pray for you. Commune by, by confessing and asking other believers to pray for you because God heals, God sustains, God forgives, He saves. Verses 19 and 20, and we'll wrap up here in a little bit. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Right? The, the body of Christ is supposed to be, right? a, a church is supposed to be this interconnected family right? where, where we, we really care about each other. Right? And, and at times that even means that we care enough man to, to have hard conversations with each other to call each other out over things that man they don't they don't look godly they, they don't they don't appear to be uh, things that that honor Jesus right we, we, we care uh, about each other continuing in the Lord Paul was passionate uh, about other Jews coming to faith Romans 93 he said for I Uh, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He just wanted them to, to know Jesus. He writes about... Another believer in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, he says, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, and, and this, is, this is how he describes him. He says, always struggling on your behalf, right? He's struggling for, for, for these Christians, right? That they may stand, uh, uh, stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. But, but look at Look at the wording of, of five twenty there. It's it's really interesting. It says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. Right, we know God saves. But man, God, God invites us in, into this. That, that it says here that the one who's saving the soul here is the brother or sister in Christ that, that's gone after that wonder. And, and obviously we know it, it, is, it is God who saves, but he uses uh, another Christian in the saving of the soul. Right? I read uh, someone who, 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 who used the illustration of, of catching a fish, right? Is it the hook that catches the fish? Well, yes, totally, but, but that hook is connected to a line. So is it the line? Is it, is it the reel? Is it the rod? Is it the person fishing? Man, there's, there's current that had to bring that fish there. And, and the answer is yes, it's, it's all of those. Like God uses us to bring others back to him. God invites us to be a part of his saving work in the life of a wanderer. And we know, we know. From John 15, this isn't happening on our own. And God uses us. He produces fruit when we abide in Jesus, when we commune with him, genuine fellowship. Let me, let me close just by reading part of John 15 again. Remain in me, and this won't be on the screen, sorry. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, but you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the fathers loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Would you pray with me? God, we uh, a lot of us have been in church maybe, maybe our whole life. And we, If we wanted to just play the game, we could do it, Lord. Maybe like we could fake each other out. We could even probably fake ourselves out. God, you're so gracious to show us when we're living that way, when Christ is not our life. Lord, I thank you for James. I thank you for all of the, the practical commands that he gives us. And Lord, don't let us take those commands and make it into the spiritual checklist, Lord. God, we want to be a people that abide in you, that, that, that love to be with you, that want to partner in whatever it is you're doing. Right, people that, that are so hungry for you that, that we're gonna we're gonna confess our sin because we take it seriously because we don't we don't want to wither away because because of hidden sin, Lord. We we want to run to you, and God, not just individually but collectively, Lord, would, would we be a people that commune with you? Would we be a, a church family that just so seriously takes knowing you and loving you and walking with you, Lord? God, you're good we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.